would this morning. Uh, great to be together worshiping and as we, as we begin to prepare our hearts for this, this wonderful Christmas season, uh, you're going to hear more and more songs like that. So, so good to be together if you're joining us online, uh, digitally this morning. Uh, great for you to, have, to be with us if you're in the building. So good to be together. Like Lauren mentioned, uh, my name is Jeremy. If we haven't met yet, I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, for everyone else, hey, what's up, Christ Church fam? Hope everyone's doing well this morning. Grab your Bibles, go over to Matthew chapter 5. We are in our series called Kingdom Culture. We're going to continue that. We're working our way through Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, right kind of in the heart of it, the guts of it, we see Jesus begin to talk about some very pointed things that are so applicable and so important that we talk about. So while you're turning over to Matthew chapter 5, today we're going to cover verses 27 to 30. I want to give you just kind of a glimpse into the, the Wegner household. Um, so we were promised, we swore to ourselves that we would never get a dog, um, and but then we broke down, and about a year and a half ago, we, we ended up getting this dog, Dixie. She's a golden doodle. Here's a Dixie. It's Dixie. She's so sweet, and we love her. She very, very quickly became a part of our family. You know what it is when you have a dog that's like, they're part of your family. They're a family member, and, and uh, Dixie, you know, assimilated right into the Wegner household, and, you know, we go to church, and so Dixie becomes part of the church, and she, she met a guy here at church. Uh, this is Moose. <coughs> Moose Burson, um, Ben and Jackie, part of our church family, are Moose's parents. And uh, so Dixie and Moose, they, they fell in love. I mean, they fell in love. Here's their engagement picture. They got married. Um, <laughs> and uh, just the cutest couple. You know, if you're, gonna, if you're looking for a relationship, the church is where you're going to find it, though. I'm just saying, right? So Moose and Dixie fell in love. And um, I am happy and, and honored to let you know that we officially became grandparents. The grandpuppies came yesterday morning at about 5 a.m. Here they are. Nine little precious golden doodle puppies. And, and uh, you might be like, why are you talking about golden doodle puppies in church? Well, you're going to see here in a minute. I promise it's going to make sense later. Plus, it's just kind of a fun little uh, snapshot of what's going on in our lives. And so over in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read verses 27 through 30. Let me just kind of re rewind and give us a little bit of the context. Uh, verse 17 is a, a crucial transitional statement. Jesus says this. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I didn't come to get rid of the law. I came to show you the purpose of the law or to fulfill its purpose. That has multiple meanings, but Jesus is not saying we're doing away with the law. He's saying I'm showing you the reason the law was given. The problem is not with the law. He's saying to them the law is perfect, um, Brian did such a great job of, of, of teaching that, and then last week Colin did a great job of talking about, about how Jesus turns this corner of righteousness and how there's a better righteousness that he offers. But he does, he does come and point out that our interpretation, our understanding of God's law and standards can be very, very mistaken. And then in verse 20, another crucial um, transitional statement, Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. That's, if, if I was in the audience that day, I'd be like, oh. <laughs> like it's kind of a, a kind of a shot, sinking. Like those guys are the best of the best. Those are the guys that do it all right. Those are the guys that have all their, they do all their dues and they don't do all their don't dues. And, and you're saying that I've got to be better than that? My righteousness needs to exceed that? Jesus is like, yep. It can be a little bit discouraging because very quickly we're like, well, then I have no chance. I have no hope. But 
be encouraged, it gets worse before it gets better, okay? Let's read here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it would be better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. That's really, really strong. I mean, there's some language in there that's a little bit shocking. Um, and so for those of us, who, or those of you maybe who are very serious about following Jesus today, uh, Colin and Dylan are actually going to be up here with some surgical instruments after service. To, if you need your hands cut off, your, I mean, just to help. We're here to serve you, right? We're here to serve. Right? Now, of course, Jesus isn't talking about physical mutilation here, which we'll, we'll address more. But what is he saying, okay? Well, we're going we're gonna to talk about that. Man, maybe you heard that, these words for the first time, and Jesus said this thousands of years ago, and it, it literally has as much shock and, is, and is, comes across as strongly today as, as when he said it, and the Holy Spirit is still very much speaking these things to us. You might be like, man, that's really, really hard. I've never heard that before. And you see, Jesus exposes the hypocrisy of the human condition. For others, this, maybe you've heard this before, and it's a reminder uh, for others, maybe it's a stern warning that you have, you have wandered dangerously close to the edge of that cliff and, and, and you're, you're in, in peril of falling over the edge. For others, yet you might be here today saying, I, I am, I'm 100% guilty, not of just what, what goes on in my heart and in my imagination, but even as, as early as last night or just recently. Maybe you're, maybe you're picking up the pieces or your life has been shattered because of this sin. Not because you did it, because, because somebody else's wake has affected you. Here's the, the big idea today as we approach this passage, and then, and then we'll pray in just a moment here, but it's this. Jesus confronts our adulterous hearts. He's, he's confrontational. He calls it out right exactly what it is. Let's pray and let's just open up our hearts to how the Lord would speak to us today. Lord, we come before you just humble. Um, Jesus, these words are, are potent and they're sharp and confrontational. And even some of the things you say here are, are kind of shocking and, uh, and intentionally so. Um, you're making a strong point and I, and I pray that we would have ears to hear and that we would understand what you're saying and what the implications are of, uh, of this text and this part of the Sermon on the Mount which is so transformational and so powerful and so life-changing. We give this time to you, Lord. Would you just speak to us? You know each person. You know what's going on. Uh, long before we ever realized it, you did. And so we're, we're safe, Lord, and we ask for you to just speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Jesus confronts our adulterous hearts. Much like Colin's message last week, um, Jesus now goes to another example. Last week, Jesus confronted the, the murder in our hearts by dealing with anger. Anger being the root the seed of murder. And then he says the same thing applied differently this week. He's confronting the sin of adultery or sexual sin and he's pointing right back to lust and lust being the seed or the root of that sexual sin. So he starts here. Let's go back to verse 27. You've heard it said you shall not commit adultery. Now Jesus is talking about the Old Testament law here. 
In Exodus 20, we see the Ten Commandments. And Jesus is referring to commandment number seven. You've heard it said. This is what you're familiar with. And so if it's like, don't commit adultery, well, I'm good. I've, I've, never, I've never done it. Like, I haven't, haven't done it. I'm, I'm safe. Jesus is like, you're not safe. But I say to you, verse 28, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. But I say, those are some, some words we need to really think about. But I say, let, let me ask you this question. Who has the final say in your life? Who, who has the final say in your sexual ethics and where lines are drawn and boundaries are created? Is it because, well, this is what I, I feel or this is what I want or this is what I think or so-and-so does it so it must be okay or this group affirms it or it, everybody, it's just kind of generally it's okay. Who, who says and who has the final say in determining our sexual ethics? Jesus is speaking authoritatively and he's saying, but I say. And so for those who are followers, disciples of Jesus, when Jesus says, but I say, that's who has the final say. He's not coming to abolish the law. He's coming to fulfill it, to reveal its purpose. Who has the final say? And he goes on to say, but I say, everyone, everyone. Well, that's pretty much all of us, isn't it, everyone? Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent. Now that's the key, uh, the key point of this passage is the lustful intent. You see, this applies not, this is not just for men, married men thinking about an adulterous affair with another woman. This lustful intent is more broadly what Jesus is talking about is dealing with it in, in the heart first. This is the point of temptation, though, right between he who looks at and then with lustful intent. And there's such a fine line that sometimes it's undiscernible. To just look at or to notice physical beauty or to have attraction to is not necessarily wrong, but that so quickly, I mean, it's almost instantaneous, goes right into lustful intent. Motives, fantasizing, imagining, creating scenarios, thinking, what would it be like to be with this person? What would it be like to be with that person? We can't really stop the temptation, but what happens between temptation and, and this idea of something being conceived in you is so crucial, and that's what Jesus is aiming at. Lustful intent. That's the key phrase of this passage. Martin Luther, the, the famous reformer, said this. He said, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. And I'm like, that's really, really true. That's a good way of saying it. We live in a world where temptation is completely inescapable. There is no escaping it. You could go live in a cave and, and still deal with temptation because you still have all your thoughts and your imaginations. In fact, often in isolation, in the dark, in, in the aloneness is when the temptation is actually the greatest. So there's no escaping temptation. But there's a subtle lie here, this lustful intent. There's a subtle lie if we just dig a little bit deeper. The lie of lust is this, that God is not enough for you. That really, you know, the thing that is going to satisfy and fulfill you, that thing that's going to make you happy, that you deserve, that, man, you, you really should just think about this, is, is the very thing that God has forbidden. So to say that God has forbidden it, but to, to believe that this is what will actually make us happy is to call God a liar, right? I don't believe you. 
Or I believe that really what you're doing is you're withholding from me something that's good for me. And Jesus is like, it is not good for you. That is not the path you want to walk down. Finding satisfaction and contentment in Christ is where this begins. But let's just kind of unearth this a little bit more. James over in James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, gives us a great picture of how this actually happens. He said this, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. Follow, follow the, the line there, temptation to conception to birthing sin to that sin growing and actually bringing forth death. Now, over the last couple months, we've had the, the fun and the, the anticipation of, of uh, knowing that, that Moose and Dixie, you know, how do I say, they, they did the deed, <laughs> you know? And we're like, oh man, okay. And we took her to the vet and they're like, yep, she's pregnant. And watching these, these little puppies, kind of like her belly get bigger and bigger, knowing that it's like someday soon, what has been conceived inside of her, she will give birth to, right? Now, I'm so sorry to liken sin and death to puppies because puppies are so cute, right? And they're, they're, so, they're so adorable. And some of you who've had puppies are like, I don't think you know what you really have got yourself into. You're probably right. But they're cute, right? That's what, that's what matters here is they're cute. <laughs> so sin, temptation, conception. The thing about about sin is that it always is conceived internally first. And that over time, as it's conceived, it grows and it develops and it, and it eventually, it manifests physically. When the, when the desires of our flesh, this is what James is saying, each person is tempted, lured, enticed by his own desire. Temptation is, is a tool of the enemy to lure and entice us into what God would forbid. But we are, we are enticed and we, the desires of our flesh are fertilized by the temptations of the enemy. When that happens, sin is conceived. And that's what Jesus is saying. Is He's saying, you're, if it happens on the inside, when you look with lustful intent, whether you are a, a married man or a single guy or a married woman or a single woman or young or old, lustful intent is the very thing that Jesus is aiming at here. And, and it, it applies to all of us. He knows what's going on. Now, we live in a hyper-sexualized culture. There's no escaping temptation. Have you noticed how lustful intent or lust in general has a way of finding you even though you're not looking for it? Has anybody else picked up on that? Like, I mean, it comes through the phone. It comes down the road. It comes everywhere. And it is exactly what James is talking about. It's designed to entice and to lure you away. Years ago, here in an example of this, um, I, was, I was a cable guy for a couple years, and so I'd be in and out of a lot of houses, sometimes 10, 15, 16 houses a day. And, uh, and one time I found myself in, in someone's home, and they had bought this house, and, and they were getting ready to move in, and they hadn't moved in yet. They were like, can you go in, get all of our cable things, you know, all run, so we're going to be moving in this weekend. And so I'm in this house alone in this basement, and, and I'm running ca- a cable line through, through a drop ceiling. And I, uh, just doing my job, just trying, you know, trying to go about, get, get the work done, do a good job. And, and I had to pop some ceiling tiles 
because I was running this cable across, and, and I'm telling you the truth. I, I popped one tile, and I, I leaned it to kind of slide it back in, and a stack of adult magazines literally slid right into my lap. And I'm like, I wasn't looking for this. <laughs> this found me. And I, I, in that moment, I'm like, oh, man. You know, you know temptation. And if I'm really honest, I mean, there was a good part of me that's like, man, just take, take, a, take a break. You're here alone. You've been working hard. You've got time. Why don't you just enjoy, enjoy the literature a little bit, right? And there were, the temptation was so intense and so great. And I remember in that moment going like, man, I, I actually really, really want, I want to, I want to indulge in this. And, and going, but, but Jesus, I know what your word says, that if, if I look with lustful intent, I've already committed adultery with her in his heart. What Jesus is saying is he's going, to, to fantasize about it, to conceive the ideas in your heart and your imagination is the same thing as doing it. You are, you are just as guilty of sin of the adultery of the heart as you are if you physically did it. And then that leads us to like, well, well then we're all guilty. Yes, that's, that's exactly the point. The standard is impossible. Jesus is not saying your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees. Like, you need to try harder and do better. What he actually shows is that he's like, you've got an internal condition in sin that you, you are enslaved to, that you can't overcome. You can't be good enough. You can't have enough uh, self-discipline to stand against this. The standard is impossible. All I gotta do is even think and imagine it, and I'm guilty of adultery? Yes, that's the problem with sin, but what Jesus is saying lovingly as he's confronting us is he's saying that's where it begins. If, if it goes from, from looking to lustful intent, sin is conceived. When, when the temptation fertilizes your fleshly desire, sin is conceived in you. And that kind of takes us to, to the first thing the first uh, step or the first response here is, is this. Present your intent. Present your intent. I, I want to encourage you with this, this today that he already knows, you know? There's not some new shocking thing that it's like Jesus is like, oh my gosh, what? He already knows. Present your intent. Don't hide, don't run, don't try to stand there and just get in. You get into a dogfight with lustful intent, whether it's sexual lust or it's the lust of the eyes or, or it's fantasizing about that girl or that guy or fantasizing about what relationship, whether it's sexual or romantic, what that would be like, that is adultery of the heart. We do not have the strength to stand against that. Now, if I were to take, um, say, through, through the... the the miracle of modern technology, and I was like, hey, Josiah, we've got this thing you can put on your head, and it's a cable that, that plugs in, and it puts up on the screen everything you're thinking and feeling, like it's for everybody to see it, right? Would you be like, sure, I'll put it on? No. <laughs> and I don't think anyone would want to get in that line, right? That's horrifying. If, if it was to be seen in, in like a presentation, your intentions, the, the motives, the fantasies, the imaginations that go on in your mind and your heart, that would be horrifying and embarrassing. The reality, though, is that that's how God, he sees all of it. There's nothing that's hidden from him. 
There's, there's a movie screen of your imaginations and your intents and the motives of your heart playing and God sees it very clearly. He already knows. He already knows, but that's actually comforting to us. Where Jesus is trying to lead us is this. The law doesn't save you. Not committing adultery is not the problem. It's the internal nature of the heart and the imaginations where sin is conceived. And even at that, that only makes us more guilty and more convicted. And Jesus is like, yes, the law always leads us to relationship with Jesus. What it does is it shows us our need for Jesus. The law doesn't save us. The law doesn't give us the ability to stand against it. In fact, it exposes our desires. Focus on, on love relationship with Jesus. In, in, that, in that moment where I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm like, got the magazines. I'm like, man, well, I could, I could A, I could like take the bait, right, and just sit here and indulge for a while. Or I could kind of just try to be like, mm, I'm gonna I'm gonna try so hard not to. I'm just gonna put him back up and I'm gonna go to a different ceiling tile. Who knows what would have fallen out of the next ceiling tile, right? <clears throat> or there's there's actually the better route, the, the the better righteousness that God calls us to is in relationship with Jesus. It's in doing that. It's in presenting your intent. It's going right to him and going, Jesus, I am super tempted right now. And in my flesh, I want to and I'm weak and it feels like it would be such a good thing but I but I know what your word says and because I love you I love you because you first loved me and because I have a love relationship with Christ I'm not going there I'm not trying to hide it I'm just going to present it you already see it anyways my my life and my imaginations are, are in full view of your judgment and so instead of running or hiding or trying to deal with it in some other way, I'm just going to bring it right to you. That's why James over in James 4, 7, maybe you've heard this passage. He says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Resist the, te- the temptation, he'll flee from you. But if you look at the first half of that, that's the how we resist the devil. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I want to encourage you today. When those seeds of temptation, when that moment of temptation comes, that you just simply present your intent. Present your intent right to you, Jesus. We're not strong enough to stand against this. We're not, we don't have the ability to overcome lust and, and the sins of the flesh in our own strength. We don't. The lie of lust, again, is that this is what you need. This is what will make you happy. You deserve this. It's just a little thing. The thing about lust is it's, it's an insatiable appetite. It can never be satisfied. It's like a burning flame that can never be extinguished. Our flesh, our sin nature, our flesh nature really only knows two words, more and now, the appetites of the flesh. So then Jesus goes on to say this. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. <laughs> say what now? It's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. That's kind of shocking. That's really extreme. But what is, what is he saying? What is he actually saying here? 
Well, like we joked about a little bit earlier, he's not, he's not calling for physical mutilation. That would be completely contrary to what he just said. What he just said was adultery is birthed in the heart. The conception of adultery is, is lustful intent in the heart. And, and if, you've, if you've done that, you've already committed adultery. What he's saying is he's saying deal decisively with the roots. He's saying there's, there's a sacrifice to be made. He doesn't just say your eye or your hand. He says your right eye and your right hand, and he does that on purpose because in, in Jewish culture, it would have been well known that, that the things on the right were things of significance and value and prominence. Sit at my right hand means the place of, of power and position, right? Your right eye would have been of great value and very precious. Your right hand would have been of prominence and significance. And Jesus is saying, even if it costs you, and even if it hurts, and even if there's a sacrifice involved in it, do what you need to do to get rid of, of the entry points, whether it's something you're looking at, your eyes, or something that you're doing, your hands. Get rid of it. And even if it costs you, even if it's valuable, what he's saying is he saying that the cost of not dealing with lust in its, its, its inception, the cost of not dealing with lust is far greater than the cost of dealing with it. There's a cost of, of dealing with sin. When sin is full grown, it brings forth death. Now he uses the word hell here. If you, It's better that you're your members, then your whole body be thrown into hell. Better that you lose one of your members, your whole body go into hell. That's the word Gehenna. And Gehenna was, was the city dump outside of the walls of Jerusalem. Gehenna was, was where they would dump their trash, and it was always on fire. It was just a burning rubble heap. And he was using a visual picture. He's saying, That's, that is what sin does to you. Now, ultimately, yes, he's talking about eternal judgment, the eternal judgment of hell and separation from God, but he's also talking about the very nature of sin in the flesh itself. In another place, he said it's the place where the fire is never quenched and the worm never dies. Now, think about that. Think about it, especially in terms of of lust and lustful intent. It's an insatiable appetite. If you go out in your yard and make a campfire tonight, at no point does the campfire say to you when you, when you bring another log, oh no, I'm good, I'm good. Like, Thank you, you've been so generous. You've given me so many logs already. I'm good, I'm good. It's never satisfied. You notice that about fire? It's never satisfied. More, now. It will just continue to consume. The worm never dies. It just keeps eating and eating and eating and it hollows you out. So in one hand, he's talking about the trajectory and where this path eternally leads for those who do not have a heart that is regenerate. But he's also talking about what it does in this life and the nature of sin and hell itself. Gehenna, the the flame is never quenched, the worm never dies. Notice the downward spiral that begins to happen here, okay? So we, we present our intent, and then number two is this prevent your descent, present your intent to prevent your descent. That's how this this works. Now, if we move very quickly to things like rules and tools, we miss the whole point. Rules and tools are good things. We don't put ourselves in compromising positions. 
you know, we have a certain set of rules, especially around the church, that it's like we don't, you know, we're not going to ride alone with, with another woman or we're not going to have meetings where, where there's not visibility into the meeting. And, and we have tools like on our phone. Every one of us has this thing called Covenant Eyes, which, which monitors all of what's coming across our screen. And there's a report that's given each week to someone to bring, to bring accountability. Rules and tools, those things are needed. They're good, but they only work when, when they're seated in a love relationship with Christ. The beginning of it is to love Jesus, to have relationship with him, to, to find your righteousness and your satisfaction in Christ. And then because you love Jesus and because you understand the, the consequences and the implications of the sin and you love your, your spouse and your family and everything that God's blessed you with, you put rules and tools in place. Jesus is saying, though, do whatever you need to do. Slam the door. Don't even give the opportunity. Prevent your descent. Prevent even the inception of it. Not dealing with the sin is far, the cost is far greater than dealing with the sin. Now, the cost is kind of an interesting word. I want, I want to talk a little bit more about that. And, and we're going to look at this over in Proverbs chapter 7 here for a few moments. Um, very closely related in the Old Testament to this passage is Proverbs 7. It's, it's Solomon is talking to his sons and he's talking about adultery or sexual sin, sexual immorality. And he's, he's personifying it uh, in, in, in the person of, of a woman. And, and notice in this passage that this, this woman seeks out or has sought out this, this young man. And we don't have time to read the whole passage. But we're going to start in verse 21. You can look up on the screen here, Proverbs 7, 21. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. And that's such a vivid picture. Persuasion. And with smooth talk, she compels him. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into a snare. It's a trap. What he's saying is there's a bait and, and the devil knows how to entice and how to lure, but it's a trap and the trap is costly. Look what he says as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. Here's the thing about the enemy that, that we need to know. Satan, he never tells you the price tag. Have you noticed that? He doesn't tell you what it's going to actually cost you, but you will end up paying that price. What he tells you up front is that it's like, this is what's going to make you happy. This is what you're lacking. You know that hole that you have in your heart? You know that like deep longing you have for that relationship? And that guy, man, he's so sweet, and he listens to you, and he pays attention, and he would talk to you for four hours every night for sure, right? And that girl, man, she's, she's the one. You married the wrong person. And, and can you imagine how much better sex would be with her? And I mean, just thinking about like, you know, and, and there's, there's all of this allure. And, and you guys know, I mean, I'm just, we're just telling the truth, right? And, and there's these imaginations and these, these thoughts. But, but the devil never tells you the cost. He doesn't know it will cost him his life. Now, O oh sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Like, there's this appeal, like, I know I know the temptation is real. I know that the allure is so powerful. But let not your heart turn aside to her ways and do not stray into her paths. You see, it's, it's a slow turning aside. It's something small that turns into something big. It, it, when it's conceived, it's, it's small. 
but it grows and grows and grows and eventually it gives birth and it manifests and then when that thing is full grown, it enslaves and it masters the very thing that promised life and promised freedom and promised satisfaction and promised happiness is the very thing that destroys and enslaves. For many, verse 26, for many a victim, she has she laid low. Here's the downward descent. You see kind of the downward spiral. Many a victim has she laid low and all her slain are a mighty throng. I've talked to a lot of people and had a lot of conversations over the years and, and, and there's something, there's a kind of a common theme that you hear is people that step in, and, and commit actual outward physical adultery, have an affair, oftentimes they're like, I never thought it would be me. I, thought, I always thought I was way too strong for that. Like, no, that'll never be me. I can look at porn and I can imagine these things and I can, and, but I'm never gonna actually do it because I'm, I'm strong and I'm not dumb enough to actually do it. And Jesus is like, you're not strong enough not to. And especially if you entertain those thoughts, those lustful intents, those imaginations, it's just a matter of time before that, as it conceives and it grows, and that the conception of that idea over time is like it becomes more and more attractive and the what-ifs and the imaginations. And the, man, I, I'm really convinced that this is so much better for me. And it's, it's a lure and a trap. But I never thought I would do it. I thought I was strong enough. The truth is we're not strong enough. Verse 27, her house is the way to Sheol, hell. Going down, here's the descent, down to the chambers of death. You present your intent to prevent your descent. Present your intent to Jesus. We don't have to be strong. That's actually the whole point. Your, your, the better prayer to pray is not, Lord, I'm... I'm I thank you that you've made me strong and that I can stand against temptation. The better prayer to pray is, Lord, I am very, very weak. And I know in my flesh that I, I want to do that. And I know that if I don't walk in your strength and that your strength is made perfect in my weakness, that your grace is sufficient for me, that you already know what's playing out in my heart and my mind right now. You know that I'm looking at the magazines. And that in my flesh, I want to, and that this is a, a, a lure and a vice and a temptation. And I want to bite that thing like that fish that just can't resist, you know? I want to, but I know that, that the end of that is, is terrible. In those moments, the best thing you can do, the very best thing you can do is just take it straight to Jesus. And out of your love relationship, out of your love relationship with Christ, don't try to be strong, but just admit your weakness. Admit our own propensity. Admit our own desire for it. And begin to just go, Jesus, would you, would you give me strength? And you know what you'll find in those moments is that Jesus is stronger than sin. We're not. Sin is stronger than Jeremy. I don't have the ability. That's why we need Jesus but he's there for you. He's right there in those moments of temptation. He's right there. That's what he's saying in this. When, you, when you've thought and you've looked with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery. He's not giving us some law to go try harder to do better. He's saying, you need me. You need relationship with me. You need the strength that I offer. You need the righteousness that I offer because you don't have it in and of yourself. 
So yes, Jesus saves us and we trust him for salvation, but we also trust him moment by moment by moment. We present our intent. We prevent our descent. Again, Satan never, never tells us the price. He's, he's kind of like the, <laughs> I don't know about you, but like if, if I'm going to buy a car and the, the price is not clearly marked on the car, I, I drive past that lot. Is anybody else like, I don't? Because if I go in there, I'm like, how much is this? And they're going to play on my ignorance, and they're going to get every penny out of me that they can, and I'm going to pay too much, right? If the price isn't clearly marked, it's like, just keep driving. <laughs> Satan never tells us the price. He doesn't tell you what this is going to cost, but Jesus is so loving and confronting and lovingly telling us the truth because he's telling you the, the cost up front. But that is very consistent with the character of Christ. The enemy is the opposite. He wants to hide the cost and, and lure you in and, and minimize what, what you're actually doing and what it's going to cost you so that he can destroy you. Where Jesus says things like, if you uh, want to follow me, uh, you're going to have to pick up your cross and die every day. If you want to follow me, uh, birds of the air, they have nests and foxes have holes, but, but I don't have anywhere to lay my head. If you want to follow me, give everything you have, sell it, and, and come follow me. Give it all the way to the poor, come follow me. If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no place with me. Like all these crazy, like, what? You know, Jesus is, Jesus says, hey, there's, there's a way broad and wide is the way. And many, many people go, that's the way that leads to destruction. But if you want to follow me, it's going to be, it's going to be hard. It's narrow. It's tight. It's difficult. Not many people, not many people go that way, but it's the way that leads to life. Jesus does the exact opposite. He, he tells us the price right up front. Don't you appreciate that about him though? Like, man, he's like, I'm telling you, this is what it's going to cost you but I'm telling you that it's worth it. Whereas the enemy minimizes and hides the cost as a way of ensnaring and entrapping. You know the amazing thing about Christ though is and the more you, the more you follow Jesus and you love him and you know him, what he delivers is there's nothing that the world has that can even compare. Your, your satisfaction and your fulfillment in life is not gonna come by some illicit affair. It doesn't come by entertaining thoughts. It doesn't come by like, how, I just need one more relationship or I need that guy. Those things are very fleeting and very passing and it leaves you in a place of needing more and more and more. It's, it is, it's like an insatiable fire that just needs more and more and more. It's an empty, hollow lie and that's what Jesus is saying here. Satan promises freedom and delivers pain and suffering. Jesus promises difficulty but he delivers life and freedom. You can have short-term gratification and suffer long-term consequences or you can, you can do what Jesus is saying in this passage. You can exercise restraint. You can do what you need to do and you can enjoy the long-term blessing of God. Now, let's just kind of make this personal this morning. I'm in a few moments. We're gonna have some time to really respond to this and, I, and I'm mindful that the, the shock of this passage and the sharpness of it and what Jesus is saying is it's hard and it is. Because he's not mincing words. He loves us enough to tell us the truth. Jesus confronts our adulterous hearts. But Jesus said, he said, I didn't come into the world to condemn it. He's not here to like condemn us and embarrass us and humiliate. He said, I came into the world to, to save and to redeem. And so we present our intent to prevent our descent. The best thing that we can do is bring this right to Jesus. Now, I, again, I don't know where you are. I know there's a lot of people in our church, you might be here today or maybe you're even watching online and you're like, 
I was going to get off a little bit ago, but I don't know what you're talking about has just kind of got me. Maybe you're, maybe you're picking up the broken pieces. Maybe you're like, I've done this, and I feel awful, and I feel ashamed, and I feel embarrassed. Whether that's your story or whether you're here today and you just are convicted deeply in your heart that in your heart you've already committed adultery, the move is the same. The move is, is a move of love and relationship and worship of Christ. That's where we get our strength. That's where we get our righteousness. That's the better righteousness. So in these next few moments, I, I would call us to respond and to think deeply. I, and I don't know your story but the worst thing we could do is, is run in shame and run in guilt and embarrassment. That's exactly what the enemy would have for you. Jesus is calling you and he's saying, hey, no, 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 no. I already knew it. I already knew it. What you need is, is Jesus. That's what you need. So let's take some time and, and, and as we worship, let's bring our hearts before the Lord. Wherever, wherever you are, and we'll talk a little more at the end too. But let's just turn our hearts in worship. Father, um, I think about this, this passage and it is so deeply convicting and just the, the lustful intent, the thoughts and the intents and the motives of our heart. And every one of us is guilty. We are. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you for the hope of the gospel is that there's mercy, there's forgiveness, there's redemption, there's healing. That Jesus, you can take whatever it is, and you can, you can put the pieces together. You can heal and redeem. So Lord, in these moments, we're not, we're not trying to do anything except just be very real and, and honest and transparent with you. This sin of lustful intent is everywhere in our culture. And temptation is, is overwhelming at times. And you already knew. So we bring it all before you, Lord. I pray that we would, we would walk in your righteousness in this area. Would you meet each person, Holy Spirit, way, where they are uh, in these moments, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.